Um, I don't know if you went to the game yesterday. It was a beautiful game to go to a football game. Didn't quite turn out the way we would have liked it to. Uh, but it's interesting as you watch games, you watch that game or really a, a, mostly all college games yesterday, you notice there's this new penalty, a new rule, and it's called targeting. Uh, and we're trying to figure that out. If you notice that nobody knows, you kind of, kind of understands exactly, it seems like it's such a subjective thing. Uh, and for those who don't watch football, it's, you know, when you lead with your helmet and you hit somebody and it's head-to-head or whatever, and, you know, a lot of guys have gotten concussions and gotten hurt. So they're trying to fix that and kind of figure out how to do that, and then there's a penalty for it. And, you know, like I say, you just kind of have to watch it happen really fast or watch a video and then make the call, but um, whoever's charged that penalty, they're, they're out of the game. That's done, you know, and I think about my life, how many times, you know, I've targeted, you know, or how many times I have done something, and I think God had every, every you know, right, uh, if, that's the, if that's the correct word, you know, to say, hey, Dan, you're out, you're done, that's ridiculous, you know, you're done, uh, but he didn't do that. He didn't do that, and he's not going to do that with you. And I don't care how badly you've messed up, where you've been, what's happened to you, if you've been victimized. uh, You know what? God is for you, and he loves you so much. And so uh, he kind of recreated. You know, if you you look at Scripture and you think, wow, there's all of this that sometimes seems kind of hard and kind of burdensome to try to figure out, and God's like, you know what? I'm going to do something brand, brand new. And he... He even prophesied that over and over again, and we're going to look at one of those today of how I'm going to do something different. I'm going to do something so outrageous and so brand new uh, that it's going to change the rules. So rules change as you go along, and some of you, maybe you're old school and you think, well, the rules used to be this way, and now they've changed it, and and that's just always going to happen. And uh, we're going to look at one of those today. But I want to give you a big idea of where we're headed and what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes. And here's, here it is. Jesus is a one-and-done Savior. He's a one-and-done Savior, and that's a really good thing. And I don't know what your context is, and we're going to use a couple of words that we're going to flip around today that maybe think of in a negative sense or maybe positive. We're going to look at it from a different angle. So what do we do with that? That's the big idea. When we walk out, how am I going to apply that to my life? What is the action point? Well, here's what we're thinking is going to happen this week for us. As a community, as people of Jesus, we want to provoke one another. We want to nudge each other, push each other, encourage each other to connect to connect ourselves to God, to one another, to this community, and then this community to God. We want to do that, not just in our own flesh, in our own power, in our own strength, but with this deeper love that he infuses into us. So we're going to push people, we're going to push each other uh, to deeper love, to good works. I don't know if you ever run with somebody or you work out with somebody and you think, well, I've hit my limit. And if you're doing it by yourself, at least for me, if I'm doing it all by myself, it's easy to say, that's it. I'm going to tap out. I'm going to slow down here. I'm going to stop here. But if you're doing it with somebody else, they will motivate you, right? They're going to push you and keep you going. And that's what today's about. How do we do that for one another? One and done. One and done. That phrase, probably pretty familiar with you, and you've maybe used it in different contexts, uh, it actually originated 
uh, and basketball. Uh, and, and then it moved into this wider culture, you know, for us. It's been more than a decade since the NBA came up uh, with this rule. And what the players' union decided is that players either need to be 19 years old or they need to be one year removed away from high school before they're eligible for the draft. Seemed like a good idea, you know, about 10 years ago when this happened. So there was this, you know, the collective bargaining agreement uh, in 2006 contained this, this idea, this, this new thing that since has been come to, you know, we call it one and done. One and done rule. It refers that when, you know, a player graduates from high school and what happens is in real life, they go to college, they go one year. Now, if you were in college and you finished your freshman year and somebody said, you can finish three more years and, you know, we're going to hire you at 40000 a year or you go ahead and leave now and play for the NBA and we're going to give you a couple of million dollars. Most of you think, you know what, I'll finish my education another time. I'll take the money. And that's sort of, you know, the idea of what was happening and some of these really, really young guys, you know, just getting boatloads of money. That's sort of the way it played out. But this rule... I think it's going to be revised. Um, probably will be. Coaches in the NBA don't like it. Coaches in college really don't like it because you know they're they're losing these guys. Players don't like it, especially a lot of the older players, the more mature players, and they're seeing these guys come in, you know, who are 18, 19 years old, and you know they say they're just really not ready for the expectations to play at a professional level like that. Uh, there's just a lot that goes along with that because in truth. Most players, most you know, guys who come into that at 18, 19 years old, uh, they're, they're not a Kobe Bryant. They're not a LeBron James. So uh, whatever the outcome of that rule, we'll see what happens with that. That expression, one and done, it just skipped from the origins of basketball, and now it's just in our lingo. You know, it's one of those things we say as part of a bigger culture. So I was trying to think of some of the things that you may think of as, as one and done. Uh, disposable diapers. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm probably the last generation we tried with our very first child, you know, th- three decades ago. Hey, let's just try real cloth diapers. You know how long that lasted? We thought we'll give up cable, we'll give up dinner out, whatever we got to do. We're going one and done with those. So one and done diapers, you know, you throw them away. Paper plates, uh, most of you, unless you're a college student, you don't wash paper plates and use them. Yeah, I know things are tough, and you think, no, those Raymond noodles, we can, yeah, we can just, just brush that off. And then you take that disposable one-and-done paper plate, and you put it in a 50-gallon plastic tub downstairs in cafe that is lined with a one-and-done black plastic bag. So we, we kind of get that. Maybe a couple who uh, has one child, and they think as that child grows up, oh my goodness, one and done. <laughs> and we're just going to stop right there. In a tournament, teams are one and done if they lose opening game and they're just eliminated. One and done. Some of you know of the phrase one hit wonder, which is somebody comes out with a you know, really cool song and then that's it. They disappear. Kind of the same idea. In the army, a person can decide to enlist on a one and done basis. That means that he or she will... Uh, you know, enlist for a period and then decline to, to, con- to continue that, to re-up. And then, then there's Jesus. 
He's our one and done Savior. I want to show you this, okay? So let's read this. I want to show you in uh, Hebrews chapter 10 what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his sacrifice, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all times a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins no more and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching New Testament says that Jesus in this dual role of high priest and sacrifice. It's a one and done savior. He acted as a high priest once and was done. He acted as a sacrifice himself once and was done. One and done. Now typically, the temple priests were never one and done. This was redundant. It was repetitive again and again and again. They're always acting as priests and they just did this over and over and over, always offering sacrifices for sins, even their own sins. It was, it was monotonous, it was ineffective, and it was just continual over and over. So Jesus, one and done, priesthood and sacrifice is, is, is extraordinary. It's so special and it's unusual arrangement. Nobody saw this coming. Priest in Judaism can go back as far as just the, the, the establishment of the Levite priesthood in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. And they offered these sacrifices of sheep and bulls and lambs and goats and birds. And, and they did this over and over so many times. Verse 11 says, every priest stands day after day in his service, 
offering again and again the same sacrifices that can never take away sins. I can't imagine being a priest. Now, as a pastor, I have to do a lot of different things, you know, and, and that's just, and a lot of things they didn't teach you in seminary, you know, they didn't say, well, you're not just going to preach and counsel and pray and do this, you, you've got to, there's all these things over here that you just got to figure out. I can't imagine being one of these priests and all day long you're acting like a butcher. I mean, you know, you're just slaughtering animals all day. There's a little image there for your imagination. So Jesus comes along, does something entirely outrageous, entirely different, because no priest had ever offered himself as a sacrifice. It would have been pointless. It would have been useless because the sacrifice had to be without blemish. And there was no human being. There was no priest. There was no nobody who had ever been without some blemish. No human, no priest had ever been perfect. Paul says this again and again, and uh, it's a familiar scripture in Romans chapter 3, 23, where he says, we've all sinned, we've all messed up, we've all made mistakes, we've all made dumb decisions, and we've all made terrible choices. None of us is perfect, no, not one. We all fall short of the glory of God. Jesus qualified. Jesus could do this because he was a perfect sacrifice. He was without blemish. He was spotless. He was a one and done priest. A one and done savior. A one and done single sacrifice for sins. That's what the writer says in verse 12. So Jesus came to earth once and was done. Jesus died once and was done. Jesus was raised once and was done. Jesus lives and reigns, and that's not done. That's going. That's ongoing. That's ongoing. And since Jesus offered this one-and-done sacrifice, and since the results of that is the permanent forgiveness of your sins, and that's going to be hard for some of you who are just covered in shame to wrap your mind around because you're going to keep going back to history and you're going to keep saying, yeah, but I'm just, a, I'm this and I'm that. And God says, well, that's not what I say about you. He says, now, there is no need for additional obsolete sacrifices for your sins to be forgiven. There's no need for you to pay penance. There's no need for you to try to work and add something to it. Well, maybe if I just did this and God will like me and maybe he'll forgive me a little more. He says, you really are missing the point. The writer even goes back and connects to this old covenant through the prophet Jeremiah when he says this uh, in verse 17. He says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. He said, I'm not going to remove those and forgive them. I don't even know what you're talking about. In verse 18, he says, where there is forgiveness of sins, there's no longer any need. There's no longer any offering for those sins. They're eradicated. That's going to probably take a while for that to sink in and for you to even believe that. It, it has for me. And it's, and it's almost like a circle. It's almost like I'm like, really? Are you kidding? How does... But Lord, I've been so... You know. You know. And he goes, yeah. Well, what about this? Yeah, that's forgiven. Oh, Lord, what about that? 
forgotten. That's what Jesus did. So how do we respond to that? What, in the, what do I do with that? Well, this writer, we're not quite sure who it is. Maybe Paul, maybe Barnabas, maybe somebody else, maybe Apollo. But I think probably Paul. But um, whoever this biblical writer is leaves this, this ritual, you know, and this image that everybody would have figured out and been, like, so familiar with, just a, a regular part of their, their routine. And there's this theological underpinning, but he begins to build this real practical structure for, for you and me so that we can live this. So we know how to live this. And all that's been said and all that he's written so far is kind of like the context, you know? It's like the foundation. So the footings have been poured, you know, the stones have been laid, everything's ready, the foundation has been set. I walk on Westland Street a lot. I walk my little dog, and, you know, I'm that old guy you see in the puffy jacket early in the mornings, and you think, I wonder what his story is. Bless his heart. And there I am. I'm shuffling along. And there's a guy there that's building a house, and they just took this hill that they lived on, and they took this old house, and they just kind of like tore it down to just the basic structure and the foundation. And they started building out. So walking by day by day, it's been really cool and really interesting to see What's that house going to look like? And as the framework comes up, I think, is that a window? Is that like a huge window or is that the garage or is that, you know, and as it comes up, I'm seeing it take place and, and shape and I go, oh, so we drive by there this morning. I think, wow, that's really becoming a cool house. I like that design and the way they put it there. But in the beginning, there's nothing but a foundation. You see, that's what God's doing with us. The foundation is in place. We have a one-and-done Savior who's done absolutely everything necessary for you to know Jesus, for you to know peace and life and forgiveness and joy, for you to have meaning and purpose in your life. And sometimes we want to know, God, what's that look like? God, is that a window or a garage? What are you doing? <laughs> are, you, are you putting a door in over here? I mean, you know, we can't see it all yet. And if you have a personality like mine, I want to know it all. You know, I want to know everything possible. And like, God, can you just tell me what you're doing? He goes, no, just watch it come up. Just watch what I'm building because it's going to be really beautiful and you're really going to like it. And it all starts coming together. That's what Jesus does. And the first thing he says is in verse 23. He says, you know what? After we got that, let's hold on to our faith. He says, I'm holding on to you, so don't you let go of me. Our salvation is, is absolutely priceless. It, it costs Jesus his, his life. So he says, let's hold fast to him without wavering. Let's hold on. Because sometimes I think it's kind of tempting to think, is this enough? Is this enough just for me to hold on to Jesus? Can, is it seriously? Is Jesus all that I need? And so we try to start adding on to that. I think Jesus would like me a lot better if I did this. And so instead of provoking one another to love and to good works, we provoke each other to religious activity and duties. And we get back under the bondage almost like in the Old Testament. We start adding on layers of laws and rules and expectations and we think, God... You know, I'm just trying to be so careful. And I get that morality is important. And I get that, you know, drawn to Christ through certain activities. That can be really valuable. 
But it becomes something totally different when it becomes what you're relying on and what you're counting on. You know, if you had a tragedy to come in your life, like the Fugits have faced this week, and if you were to shake your fist at God and say, after all these years, I have served you and I've lived for you, and, I, and it's almost like we would say, and God, you owe me. He doesn't. And you don't need all that. I think it's cool sometimes, it's kind of avant-garde, to even dabble in other religions, other practices. You know, we look over and, you know, in the, in the yard next door, uh, religiously speaking, and, and we think, oh, that's really cool what they do. You know, I'm, I'm going to adapt that into my lifestyle or whatever. And, you know, I've tried that, and I'm just not real good at it. And somebody says, well, do you, do you observe all the Old Testament feasts? And I go, no, I don't. I celebrate Easter and Christmas and... No, I don't do any of the Old Testament feasts. You know why? Because I'm not an Old Testament Jew. I'm not Jewish at all. My family's from Ireland. <laughs> so I don't do that. I don't, I don't do... And, and God bless you, whatever your heritage is, but I don't do Roman Catholic things. I'm, I'm not Catholic. So I don't do Catholic stuff, you know? And... I don't even do a lot of Baptist stuff very well. You know, I'm just, I'm not good at that. And the idea is, don't think that because you're religious or because you, th you think, oh, I'm, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. It's just Jesus. It's just Jesus. That, that's all. You know, we, we've come to Christ and, and he suffered and he, and he died for our sins. And let's just be real clear about who we are and who we're not. Okay. So, and next, he's, he says, let's remember that Jesus is a one-and-done Savior because he entered that holy place. As it were, he says in, in verse 22, that now we can approach God ourselves, and we don't need an earthly, mortal, corruptible priest anymore. God has become approachable. You're a priest. How does that feel? Next time you're in the airport and somebody asks you, what do you do? Or you're in the deli or the coffee shop, what do you do? Yeah, I'm a... I'm kind of a priest. Really? Yeah, yeah, I'm a priest. Now, that would be a more accurate thing about your identity than some of the other junk that we believe about ourselves. God is so approachable now because he sees you through Jesus. You're in Christ. And so when he looks at you, that's what he sees is his son. And connected to that idea in verse 23 is that you can always remember that God is faithful. He's not like you. He's not like me. He's not like us. He's faithful, and he will do what he's promised. He will do it. So out of that, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices, and that's how we connect. That's how we identify with him. Paul said in Galatians, Paul said in Colossians, Paul said in Romans, this idea of it's not just that I'm going to live for him. And I'm going to try to be good. And I'm going to try to be a good Christian. I'm going to try to do all those things. And somehow my efforts are going to connect me to him. It's not the way it works. He says, you know what? I can't improve you. I can't keep fixing you. And all the stuff you're trying is not going to fix you. You know, there was, there was Dan. Then there was Dan 1.0. And then there was Dan 2.0. And, and it's like these versions. He's, you know what? That's not the way it works. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to crucify you with Christ. 
we're going to go down to the foundation and we're going to build something brand new. Something new and different than it ever was before. So he's faithful and we offer ourselves as living sacrifices in a similar way. And that's what we pictured earlier today in the communion. That we're entering into that death ourselves. We've died to ourselves. We allow Jesus to live in us. I know it sounds subtle, but it's really all the difference in the world. Me trying my best every day to get up. Just like those priests, you know, it says daily offering the sacrifices. Here we go again. Wonder what today is going to look like. It's going to look a whole lot like yesterday because we're doing that same thing, trying with all of our, you know, I'm going to get this right and then failing miserably. He says, why don't you abandon that? Has that ever worked for you? Has it ever worked? He says, why don't you stop it? Just quit. <laughs> That's what we'd say down here, right? If Jesus lived in Tennessee, he'd say, quit it. And he says, just let go of that. And just let me carry you. Let me live in and through you today. It'll make all the difference in the world. On the cross, Jesus says, it is finished. And I get it. I know on one level that he's talking about his own life, that his dying, his agony, and all of that is finished, and it's over, and his life is done. But I think on a whole other level, he's talking about sin. Sin is finished now. It's one and done. Sin does not have any power over you anymore. I know you don't believe me. There's an old story, it's like an old preacher story, uh, about a man who was once drafted into Napoleon's army. And as many nations of that era, there was this French law that, that was in the books that allowed a person who could afford it to, to not go, but to hire another person to go in their place. So I don't want to go fight, I'm going to risk getting killed or something terrible happening and get my arm chopped off or my legs or whatever. And So you know what? So this guy would say, you know what, I'm a professional soldier, I will go in your place and you pay me to be you. And so that's what, the, what, the, that's what this guy did. And sometimes, sometime later, he found out that the substitute that he had hired died in battle. So then later, through a clerical era, the man was drafted. He was conscripted a again. And he said, you can't take me. I died on the battlefield. And the official said, yeah, that's absurd. That's a trick. You're not going to, you know, he says, no. How can you be dead when you're standing right here in front of us? And the man said, go back and look at the ledger from the draft in the past. And sure enough, they looked back and on the roll, there was the man's name, and beside it, there was another man's name written, and it was the name of the man who had died in battle. Well, this was controversial and became a big deal, and the case just kept going up the chain of command and up the chain of command until it reached the emperor himself. And examining the evidence, Napoleon declared, and this is written, here's what he said. Through a surrogate, this man has not only fought, but has died in his country's service. No man can die more than once. Therefore, the law has no claim on him. And so they set the guy free. You get it? Jesus died for you. 
You've been set free. Sin has no claim on you anymore. And all of that guilt and all of that shame and all of that junk, that's just the enemy's way of trying to keep you pushed down and keep you in bondage. The truth is, you're free. Isn't that outrageous? But it's true. The writer of Hebrews believed in this foundation of Jesus' one-and-done ministry, and that helps us because it inspires me because I think I want somebody else to know about this, and I want to love people. That's what, that's what kind of emerges out of this. And in verse 24, he says, let us consider, and the word consider means let's mull over this. You know, let's think about it. Let's get creative. Let's think of ways that we can provoke one another to love and good deeds. Now, usually when I think of the word provoke, I think that it's, it's not nice, you know, to be provocative or to be, you know, and I picture my grandsons and every now and then the little angels, um, they, they will provoke one another and sometimes it's this one provoking that one and sometimes it's the other way around and they'll just do a little something and a little something and you can see in five or ten minutes where this is going to go. And so I kind of think of it in that context, but here the writer says, no, it's something different. Here's what the dictionary says. To stir up, to arouse, to call forth with feelings, desires, or activity. To incite, to stimulate to action, to give rise to, to induce, to bring about. We are called to be provokers. A community of provocateurs. <laughs> we, are, we are the instigators of love, to love and good works. How does that work? Well, he tells us in the next sentence. He goes, well, first of all, don't stop getting together. He says, we encourage you to continue meeting together uh, as a community of people. And, and that's one of the reasons why we come to church, is to encourage one another. I know you've been at school all week. I know it's been tough, and I, and I know you're around a lot of people, and, and there's a lot of stress, and there's a lot of pressure, and sometimes you get beat up, and sometimes and you need a place. You need a space. You need people. You need a community who can encourage you, and where you have the opportunity to encourage another heart, and that's what this is. This is where we connect, where we connect. So that's one of the reasons we come together, is to provoke each other. And we can do this, you know, he says that this love and kindness comes when we encourage each other. And to exhort each other as long as it's called today, keep doing it. I got to thinking about that and I wonder, you know, why don't we encourage each other more often? Is it because... We don't have enough time. Is it because that's just not part of my nature to, to be like that? Ask one more question when there's kind of a statement or a truth hidden in this. Is it because that we are so emotionally fragile that we can hardly keep ourselves pumped up, let alone somebody else? Because we're so focused inward. I'm so thinking about me that I don't have time to look over and wonder about you to help you and bless you and encourage you. 
I think we as, uh, just as families, as community groups, as a church, as, as individuals, whether you're a student, uh, in your neighborhood, wherever, wherever you are, that we need to provoke each other. And I think sometimes that involves celebration. We don't celebrate enough as a, just a regular part of our relationship. So maybe this week you need to celebrate somebody else's victory. May, you might need to you know, write a note uh, or have coffee together or make a congratulatory phone call or at least a Facebook post. I mean, come on, you can do that. Uh, send them a text or a high five. I mean, take them out for a meal. There's so many ways we can just encourage and celebrate with each other. Let's do that. Let's do that. Get creative. Think about that. And let's not forget the reason that, you know, that we do that. We don't do it to make them feel better or just make ourselves feel better. Oh, that made me feel really good that I did that. You know? No, it's because we're trying to provoke each other. Because out of that provocation, that person's going to be encouraged. You know, it's kind of like when you're in line at Starbucks and you buy somebody a coffee behind you and they go, oh, that is so cool. You know what? I'm going to do that too. Isn't that, you know, that kind of happens sometimes. What would happen if all of us just went out this week and provoked somebody, you know? What if we were kind and loving and we did something very specific and measurable and identifiable? I mean, not just vaguely, I love you, I bless you, you know? What is that? You thought of something specific and you did it. All of us. How many people would be blessed? And then how many people would they bless? That's the idea that we pass it on and we keep doing that. And this sort of loving community is possible only because we have a one and done Savior. And there's something so attractive and compelling about being people like that. This lifestyle, unlike his one and done ministry to us our, ours is not done you can't do it once this week and say well dan say you know the past it made me kind of feel good it's thanksgiving i'll go ahead and do something nice and no, it's never something you just scratch off your list it becomes part of our lifestyle jesus was one and done we're not okay we're a community and we're never done we keep loving we keep connecting until jesus comes or we go to Jesus. So given that information, let me, let me just wrap up by, by summarizing the big ideas that this author has, has given us. And I think there are three appeals uh, within this. And the first thing is that, that we approach God with a true heart, with sincerity, we're genuine, in full assurance of our faith. He says in verse 22, heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, which only brings self-condemnation. That's what happens. You'll start folding in on yourselves if you make your life about you. And the second thing we're encouraged to do, he says, hold on to your faith. And, and, and this word, hold fast, is really just one word in the original language, and it means to grab onto something. And if you watch the game yesterday, you watch, you know, somebody just doesn't give up on a tackle and they just keep, and you know, you, you saw one play where the guy's just running with him with his arm around his neck and he's like, I'm not letting you go till I bring you down. That's kind of the way this is. I'm going to hold on to you until I bless you. We're going to hold on to God and say, God, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Our mind, our heart, our body, our 
Our soul, all of us, is ready to be transformed because of him. And he's faithful. And then and this third thing, he says in verse 24, consider how to provoke each other. Not consider, am I going to do this? Am I going to buy in and think, yeah, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of poke at people in really kind ways this week. I'm going to get in somebody else's life. That's not the decision. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, that part's kind of decided or assumed, just expected. How are you going to do that? And that's where we are. And that's where we're going to land today. How are you going to love people this week? What's your next move? What step are you going to take to love somebody in a real way when we leave here? So since 2006, do you know that only 68 players have, have made the, the jump finishing their freshman year in college to the NBA? And out of that 68, only 22 of them have ever had an above average success in the NBA. Now, I looked this up because I thought, how many players are there? Well, on opening day, after everything was done on the rosters of all teams in 2018, there were 559 players. And over the last, <laughs> uh, what would that be, 12 years, there's less, less than 20 of all those times that anybody's been anything above average. Jesus is a one and done Savior so that, so that we could connect to the Father and to one another with this provocative love. So here's my question. What are you going to do with that? Who are you going to provoke this week? You get, get their face, get their name in your mind. Maybe several. A lot of you going home for Thanksgiving. Maybe it's somebody in your family. Maybe it's somebody in this room. Maybe where you work, in your neighborhood, your class. Now, how are you going to do it? What are you going to do? Start working on that. Start thinking about that. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to think about that while we sing this song together and just celebrate all that God's doing and as we're doing it, we're going to do something a little differently. Um, I want you to come up. You know, we've got all these boxes, these, these incredible shoe boxes. I, I stopped a little girl in the hallway, and I said, Oh, my Christmas present, you brought that for me? And she would just, with all the sass she could muster, said, Not unless, not unless you like baby dolls. <laughs> I, no, that's... We want to give a blessing to these children. And each one of these boxes represents a child that we're provoking to love. This is one act of provocation where we're just going to give them something specific and tangible to say, God loves you and we love you. So let's pray over these boxes. So as you feel comfortable, as you feel led, I'm just going to ask as we sing for you to come up and just put your hand on a box and pray for the child that will receive that box. Let's send, those, send prayers with those boxes. 
You can make your way back to your seat after that, and, and our service will be done. So who are you going to provoke? How are you going to do it? Let's pray for these kids. Father, we give you this moment in Jesus' name for your glory. Thank you for one and done salvation.